0: All right, we'll be reading from chapter 3, uh, book of Matthew, chapter 3, um, verses 13 to 17. Are you there? If you don't have a Bible, there's a big Bible in front, and I hope you can see it. To those who have digital Bibles, just swipe to the book of Matthew. All right, we'll start reading from verse, chapter 13, verse 13 to 17. Then Jesus came from Galilee to the Jordan to John to be baptized by him. John would have prevented him saying, "I need to be baptized by you, and do you come to me?" But Jesus answered him, "Let it be so now, for thus is fi- for thus it is fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness." Then he consented. And when Jesus was baptized, immediately he went Up from the water, and behold, the heavens were open to him, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and coming to rest on him. And behold, a voice from heaven said, This is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. Let's bow our heads and pray. Father, we thank you for today. We thank you, Lord God, for your word. Father, we pray, Lord God, that the preaching of your word today will not just be an information transfer. But, Father, may your word today shape us and mold us, Lord, to be, Lord God, bearers of your image in this broken world. Father, I know that in this room right now, there are people, Father, who are, Lord God, distraught. There are people, Lord God, who are in distress. And, Father, right now, I just ask, Lord God, that we remove all the worries from their head so that they can focus on you and in you alone. Lord, give us the peace that that transcends beyond understanding. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may now be seated. All right, so good morning, everyone. All right, is it morning? It's morning, all right. Good morning, everyone. My name is Mitch, and I am serving as um, the senior pastor of Every Nation Bahrain. Welcome to our church. Now, Every Nation Bahrain is a vibrant, multi ethnic, and multi generational church that makes disciples and multiplies leaders in every community and in every campus. Now, I want to put an emphasis on the word community. Right? So, I have a question for you. When, you. when you hear the word community, what comes into your head? Is it one person or is it a group of persons? Who says group? All right, good. It's a group of Persons. Now, did you know, right, we have a quiz again, bring out one-fourth sheet of paper, okay, (laughs) did you know, right, that if you leave a person alone long enough, if you leave that person in the room for one month alone or six months alone, if you leave that person alone, that person will actually be destroyed, did you know that? Did you know that if you leave one person alone for a long time, sooner or later, you know, the person will start having mental problems. And why is that? Why is that that when you leave a person alone, you know, it will destroy that person? That's because as humans, we are relational creatures. We are relational creatures. In short, we are designed for relationships. We are never meant to be alone. We're never meant to be alone. Have you ever wondered why babies, right? Who's who are babies here? Babyface baby face, na lang, okay? Never baby face, alright? We ba- have a who have been blessed with a baby face. Right? Do you ever wondered why babies, right? They exhibit social instincts at a very young age. Have you ever wondered why? They want to be cuddled by their mom. Right? They have that natural instinct toward being part of a society. I was playing with Yifei earlier. Right? I was playing with Yifei earlier and, he, and he, she was really interacting with me. And because that's because, we, and I'm sure that Red did not teach Yifei to interact with somebody else, but that is a natural instinct that is given to all of us. What else? Who loves bonding here? Or who loves hanging out? Who loves having coffee even if that coffee is in a Starbucks mug, but it's actually three in one? <laughs> right? Who loves to do that? All right. oh, 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 I'm sorry I didn't know. <laughs> right. We love bonding, right? We love bonding. Whether it's bonding on physically face to face or whether it's bonding through the internet, we love to have relationships. We have to ha- we like to have we like to create emotional bonds. Do you agree with that? Right? We empathize. There is a natural, cultural, and social system that is placed inside of us that we would like to be part of a community. Right? School just started. So what was it? Remember your first day in school? What, what, what happened? Were you like me who just wanted to sit in the corner and, and just forget about everybody else? <laughs> Were you like that? Are you introverts like me? But again, no, when school starts or when you enter the room the first time you came to church, what was your first instinct? Right? It's to find someone who looks or you think is similar to you. Like in my case, when I came to church, I first I tried to find someone who has a big body because I love to eat. Okay? So there's a natural cultural social system that is Inside of us. In short, we are designed for relationships. Now, although we will be talking about our relationship with others, both in the church and outside the church, and I know some of us are getting excited, you know, some of us, I know, when when the the poster or or the artwork was posted on social media, someone got excited, oh, we're going to talk about relationships, and you started... uh, Introducing someone to someone else. Now I know that someone did that. But before we talk about someone's laughing again, smiling, did you do that? Right. So (laughs) where I got lost. So what I'm trying to say is this: that although we will be talking about our relationships with um, others, both um, you know, in the church and outside of the church we will be mainly talking about our vertical relationship we'll be talking about our relationship with god relationships a relationship bro can we switch off the monitor as uh uh, really Uh, okay i I hate hearing my voice it's so ugly Okay, where was I? Relationship, okay? Relationship comes from the root word relate,? Okay? Meaning, we make a deep and personal and meaningful connection to someone else. That's what relationship means. Now, if you have if you know a person in the office and you don't have a deep and meaning meaningful relationship with him, that means you don't have a relationship with him because that is just your acquaintance, right? That's just someone that you know, but you don't have a relationship with him. Otherwise, you know, even in the office, for example, if you have a person that you speak to in the office, but it's not a deep, personal, and meaningful connection, that's just an acquaintance. So the question today is this, how many of you know God? Of course, all of us, otherwise we won't be here. But let's go deeper than that. How many of us would like to have a deep, personal, and meaningful relationship with God? Because if we have a deep and meaningful relationship with God, you know what? That naturally overflows outside Now, as a church, we are also very intentional when it comes to discipleship. We're very intentional when it comes to discipleship. Ever since I was young, right, when I was in high school a few years ago, okay, let's have a moment of silence, that joke died. And that joke died again, so let's have another moment of silence. (laughs) So when I was young, my, my pastor and, and the pastors and, and my elders would always talk about discipleship, discipleship, discipleship. But I'm just being honest. Right? I'm just being honest here. And I know that some of us think the same. I used to think that discipleship is just attending classes. Discipleship is being part of a life group or discipleship is just doing one-to-one. In short, in the past I thought discipleship is transactional. You know what a transaction is? I give something, I get something in return. I used to think that I thought that if I do this, the other person should do that. There's an expectation from my side that has to be met. Right? And and the sad thing is it's not sustainable. It's the sad thing is that if I am investing time in someone else, there is always the desire for me to see a return of investment. But we are people. We are dynamic. Sometimes, you know, realistically speaking, that never happens. Sometimes when we invest something on a person, we invest time, knowledge, wisdom, and even resources towards a person, You know, it really doesn't oftentimes equate to a changed life. And that's what I mean when it comes to transactional discipleship. Because discipleship is more than just the act of doing Bible studies. It's more than just the act of attending classes. It's more than just the act of a life group leader. Go and attend this or go and attend that. No. Discipleship is deeper than that. For discipleship to happen, there should be relationship. Now, a book that really made an impact in my life, when I was starting out again, okay. And, and if, if you want to hear the story, come to me later. When I was starting out again in every nation, a book that really made an impact in my to my, li- towards my life is the book "The Lego Principle." Right? It, it's written by one of our pastors, Pastor Joey Bonifacio, who used to be the sin- the, the senior pastor of. Fort Bonifacio. It's just a coincidence that the Bonifacio is the same. Now, Pastor Joey mentioned that discipleship is relationship. In this book, he talked about like the Lego, we are both connected horizontally and vertically. But, who am a, but to those of you who know me, you know that I'm a very stubborn person. Especially my wife knows that. Now, recently, In our church community, our leaders coined the word, right? Coined the word relational discipleship. We already know that relationship is involved in discipleship, but we coined out this word, relational discipleship, so that it will remind us that discipleship is more than just doing one-to-one. It's more than just attending classes. There is a relationship that is at the very core of it. Our goal is to put emphasis on doing relational discipleship. Our goal is to put emphasis and remind us that relation about the relationship in discipleship. And let me just clarify something. Having a process... Right? Having a process is not wrong. Actually, having a process in discipleship, that is something that we have to embrace. Otherwise, it will be chaotic. Right? It will be chaotic. It's nice to embrace relationship, um, the process. Right? And it is our imagine if who have gone undergone the purple book. Can you raise your hands? Okay. Who have gone who have who have done Uh, empowering leaders who have done that, right? Imagine, imagine this. Imagine if there was no classes. What's our way of downloading chunks of information to you? So classes are important, but we need to go the extra mile and we need to to remind ourselves about relationships. It's not just the process, but also the relationships. And that's why I, I, I want to honor people like Anthony, Jean. I want to honor Ara, Nika, G. You know, and some of us here I, I, I won't be able to mention. I want to honor you guys. Why? Because you take the time. You give the classes and you take the time to process the classes. It's not just do this, do that, do that, the verses, do this, do this. It's, it's about how about you? How do you feel about it? How can you apply it in your lives? That's relational discipleship. It's helping each other process things. Now, Pastor Nixung Nang said this relational discipleship is discipleship facilitated, okay? Facilitated and evaluated by relational uh, by relationships. Take note of that. Relational discipleship is discipleship facilitated and evaluated by relationships so what does he mean by that facilitated discipleship is facilitated by relationships we don't just ask our friends to go to classes we don't just ask our members to attend the classes we process it with them relational processing It's not just about uh, meeting and attendance or, you know, being in the class. It's not about that. But it's about, you know, how can I help you understand it further? Or how can I help you apply it in your everyday lives? Again, relational discipleship is evaluated by relationships. And what do we mean by that? We mean by that because after attending all those classes, question is, is there a life change? After attending the classes, were you more humble or were you more the opposite of humble? After attending those discipleship classes, do you attract people or you push away people because of your arrogance because you know so much? So instead of your relationship growing because of the discipleship classes, it's decreasing. So relational discipleship is facilitated and evaluated by relationships. And I announced in the group earlier, I forgot, right? you, ha- you should have come with a big breakfast and drank lots of coffee. <laughs> <Right>? <laughs> That's a joke again, and it died. So would you like to have deep and meaningful relationships? Would you like to have that? Would you like to have right, right, relationships that are fruitful? I would. Now, this week, I had the chance to spend time with my old boss. His name is Raj. And he told me about the story of her grandchild. His grandchild, rather. And how, you know, how the children of today, okay? Children, listen to this. And then the advanced generation listen to this also. How the children of today are so different with our generation. You see, in our generation, when our elder says, go and buy food, our response is, give me money, I will go. But the generation today, and I'm sorry about this, I'm just, you know, maybe stating the fact because it's not for everyone. But the children of today would actually, when, when we ask them, go and wash the dishes, what's their response? Wait. Wait. I'm in the middle of a game. I'm, 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 I'm watching this. Or I'm doing this. Wait. right? Back then, if we said that, my parents would go, come here, lie down on the floor, and... Right? And, and what's wrong? What's different? Why is the children of today acting that way? You know, and I realized when I was growing up, we, we, we lived in a house that is communal. We lived in a house, in a place where we're surrounded by our uncles and our aunties. Right? And and we saw them when our grandmother or grandfather would ask them, go do this, they would immediately go there. So when we grew up, we saw that and witnessed that. So that when it was our time to be bullied by our parents, no, to be asked favors by our parents, right? We would not say wait. We would not say no. We would not say this is the better way. We would actually just Shut up and do it. Because we trusted our parents. Our parents know what is good for us. Our parents know what is good for us. So, when he told that story, and I remembered my story, I realized that even as a church, if we want to know more about relationships, if we want to know more about relational discipleship, we need to have a model. Right? Right? We need to have a model. Now, if we would like to have a deep personal and meaningful relationship, we need to follow someone who is in perfect relationship even before the beginning of time. Wow. Did you get that? That they were in perfect fellowship, in perfect companionship, even before the beginning of time that as we know more about their relationship about the relationship between the god between god the father god the son and god the holy spirit as we know more about the dynamics of their relationship we will have a deeper understanding of what relational discipleship is And I believe that understanding the dynamics of the relationship within the Trinity will also help us understand our relationships inside the church. Will also help us understand our relationship outside of the church. And will make our relationship with God deeper. Right? So the text we've we've read earlier, and what's that text that we read earlier? Alright, that's Matthew chapter 3 verse 13 to 17. What was the last song that we sang? See, it's it's faster for you to remember the last song than the verse. <laughs> I just want to commend you know, before I lay down the context. I want to commend the, the music team. Music team, thank you so much for giving us a wonderful time of worship and of technical team. Thank you so much for doing an excellent job in supporting the music team. Right. So, let's go back to the word. Okay? Now, the verse that we've read earlier is actually the end of a period of silence. And what's the period of silence? That, that's the 400 years between the last chapter of the Old Testament, Malachi, and the first chapter of the New Testament, which is new, book of the, new the first book of the New Testament, which is which is Matthew, right? Right so it's that 400 years and when we say 400 years of silence in those 400 years the people of Israel were not able to listen or hear from the hear the word of God through a prophet. So after those 400 years that 400 years was broken by John the Baptist because after 400 years John the Baptist came and prophesied. And then he invited everyone to come and repent because the Messiah is coming, right? John's arrival in the scene marked the end of the perceived silence of prophecy. John's message was one of repentance and the announcement of the coming Messiah, whom we identify or he identified as Jesus Christ. Now, his baptism is a baptism of repentance, baptism of repentance means that there is a change of mind. Okay, now the people of Israel were used to having messiahs, political messiah. That's where that's what they they're used to. Samson, Apple, yeah. wow, Huawei. <laughs> Did the joke die again? We need two minutes of silence again. All right, uh, Judges. All right. And then David, right? Th- those are the messiahs that they're used to. They're used to having political messiah, but the messiah they realize that is coming is a divine. Uh, is a messiah that is divine, and because they realize that, they came to John for baptism, because now they're believing. They're They're expecting a messiah that will save them, not politically, but also spiritually. And that messiah will bring them into his kingdom. Right? That's what happened. Now, why is this significant? It's significant because this serves as a historical and theological context for understanding the importance of the arrival of not John the Baptist, but Jesus Christ. It's important because it's Jesus Christ was arriving, and the, the Old Testament uh, prophecies and, and, and promises is now going to be fulfilled. So put yourselves in, your, in their shoes. 400 years of silence, you have not heard any, pro, any, any message from God through the prophets. Now, suddenly, John the Baptist appears, announcing the arrival of Jesus Christ. God was again talking to your nation. That's what's happening. That is so significant because now the promise of God in the Old Testament is going to be fulfilled. How, do you, how would you feel if a promise is going to be fulfilled? Excited. Right? I remember my daughter coming home. Dad, we're going to Turkey. And then I said, I did not sign your parents' consent yet. But she said, no, dad, we're booked. So, no choice. (laughs) But that's, you know, that's the excitement that these people were having. A promise is being fulfilled. Imagine. What is the greatest promise that you are holding on to? Is it a bonus? A promotion? Is it that? If it's a promotion and a bonus, suddenly you receive an email. Dear Mr. Ferviel, do you know who Ferviel is? I don't know that guy. Dear Mr. Ferviel, we are happy to tell you or we are happy to inform you that 20,000 BD has been deposited in your bank account as performance bonus. (laughs) But more than that, more than that promise of 20,000 BD, these guys were enslaved by the Roman Empire. They were having problems. They were they were you know they were being uh, uh, not punished, but they were you know the loss of the Pharisees was being you know bur- was burdening them. Imagine all of that, and now the Messiah has come. So it's more than the 20,000 BD. It's more than that. To them, it's worth a lifetime. To them, it's worth the eternity. Matthew chapter 3, 13 says here, Jesus came from Galilee to the Jordan to John to be baptized by him. John would have prevented him saying, I need to be baptized by you. And do you come to me with the eyebrow of course. Why 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 did John hesitate why did John hesitate to baptize Jesus Christ? <coughs> why why did John hesitate to be baptized by Jesus Christ? Simply because Jesus Christ did not meet the criteria for John's baptism. Again, John's baptism is a baptism of repentance. There's one criteria that has to be met for you to be baptized by John, and that is if you sin. Jesus Christ was sinless. He must sin to be baptized by John, but he was sinless. But Jesus answered him, Let it be so now, for thus it is fitting for us to fulfill our righteousness. Then John consented. When Jesus said to fulfill our righteousness, in the context of his baptism by John the Baptist, he was expressing his willingness, listen to this, Jesus Christ was expressing his willingness to align himself with God's plan and purpose to fulfill all the requirements of righteousness, including the ceremonial aspects of the Jewish law. Did you get that? He's not supposed to be baptized because he was sinless, but he, be- he allowed himself to be baptized to align himself with God's mission of Reconciliation. If Jesus were to provide righteousness for sinners, then there is a, not need maybe, but there is a need for that, for lack of a better term, but there is a need for Jesus to be identified with sinners. For him to save the sinners, he has to be identified with sinners, but he is sinless. And you know that's what he did in his ministry. He identified himself with Who? He identified himself with the tax collectors, he identified with himself with the prostitutes. That's what he did. He identified with himself with them and he did not distance himself from them. Matthew 11:19 says this, the son of man came eating and drinking and they say, look at him, a glutton and a drunkard a friend of tax collectors and sinners. Yet wisdom is justified by his deeds. He In this verse, Jesus referred, was referred to as a friend of tax collectors and sinners, highlighting his willingness to associate himself with them. And this is what the church of today should do. It's for us to be identified with them so that we can reach out to them, not to be the holy as thou people. Now, in, in the next scene, we are exposed to a clear depiction of the three persons of the Godhead. Right, thirteen um, verses fifteen up to seventeen, we see a clear depiction of the three persons of the Godhead. And when I say Godhead, that is God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. We clearly see how each of them played a distinct role in the baptism of Jesus Christ. And each of their actions were significant. But before we go there, why don't we all stand up? Let's stand up. All right? I want you to say hi and hello to the person next to you. All right? <laughs> Are you awake? All right? Shake your hands. All right? Let's wake up. And I want to do this because what I'm about to say is very important. So I want you to be all to all be alert, okay? Are you ready? Alright, let me now sit down, okay? Alright, verse 15. Alright? So, like what I said, in the next three verses, we see how we see how we have a clear picture of, of the Godhead, which is God the Son, God the Father, God the Son, and God. The Holy Spirit. Now, in this passage, all three take note of this, all three persons of the Trinity, right? The Trinity were present. It's a new term for me and for you and for the entire human race. The Jesus Christ was being baptized, the Holy Spirit descending like a dove, and the Father spoke about his Son Jesus Christ. That's what happened in the next three chapters. Jesus was being baptized, God the, Fa- uh, the, the Holy Spirit descending like a dove, and God the Father speaking in an audible voice. The word Trinity means this. It means three, which means three distinct persons, or rather three distinct divine persons, and (coughs) niti means unity in divine nature as God. Right, Bear with me. While the word trinity is not found in the Bible, the concept is derived from various passages that reveal God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. So the word trinity is not present Okay, but it is revealed in the scriptures. Now, one of those scriptures is Isaiah 48, verse 16. Which says, Draw near to me, hear this, From the beginning I have spoken in secret, From the time it came to be I have been there, And now, so, Hear me, and now the Lord God sent me in His Spirit. So how many people are there in this verse? It's God the Son saying, Draw near to me, God the Father, and God the Spirit who sent Him. Three. Right? 2 Corinthians 13, verse 14. Let's go to the New Testament. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God... And the fellowship of the Holy Spirit with you all again. How many? Three. John fourteen sixteen to seventeen says this. And I will ask the Father, and He will give you another Helper to be with you forever. Who is asking? Jesus. Three. Right. So there are three distinct divine persons in the godhead. Are you okay with that? Now, right? We only have one God. So while there are three distinct persons in the Trinity, we have one God. Let's let's just look at the scriptures. Deuteronomy chapter 6 verse 4. It says here, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is twenty. Is it twenty? It's one. New Testament, 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 5. For there is twenty-five gods. No, right? It says, 1 Timothy 2, 5. For there is one God. And there is one mediator between God and man, the man, Jesus Christ. You see, God is not one person manifesting in three different moods or three different roles. God is not me, like me, which I am a son to my father, a husband to my wife, and a father to my children. God is not like that. God is not like Water. Where it is winter, spring, summer, and no. It, it, God is sometimes liquid, solid, and gas. So God is not like that, right? God is not that way. So I have a diagram here. God, Jesus Christ, right? Some people view it this way that Jesus is god and Jesus is the father and Jesus is the son and Jesus is the holy spirit okay that's the wrong interpretation of god we call that monalism modalism rather because god is in three different modes we call that oneness or we call or we can also call that new issue so god is not like that rather Right? There, I have another diagram here, which is a triangle. So in the Bible, God is referred to as Lord, Yahweh, or God. Okay, God is referred to Lord, Yahweh, or God. Bear with me. The Father is God. The Son is God. The Spirit is God. So when we we sang earlier, what the, what's the song that we sang? A thousand hallelujahs. Come on, sing it. Don't be shy. What's the lyrics? A thousand hallelujahs. So when we sing a thousand hallelujahs, God, we're actually not just referring to the Father, we're not just referring to the Son, we're not just referring to the Holy Spirit, we're referring to all three of them. But, remember this, the God the Father is not God the Son. God the Son is not the Holy Spirit and the Holy Spirit is not God the Father. They are three distinct persons that are a member of the triune God. We only have one God. Now if you don't understand that, welcome to the club. (laughs) Welcome to the club. But one thing is for sure, and, and, he, and there is, this is, the, here is where I settle my curious mind. One thing I, I'm sure of, that the Trinity is not an invention, but a revelation from the Bible. It's not an invention. It might sound complicated, but you know what? Under, knowing the Trinity helps us understand that despite God's complexity, God is amazingly loving us. Despite his complexity, which we will, ne- we will never ever fully grasp and understand, he chose to have a deep, personal, and meaningful relationship with us. The Trinity is not an invention because if it's an invention, then it would have been simple to understand. It's not. But the Trinity is not something we can afford we cannot. We, it's something that we cannot not afford to believe. Why? John eight twenty four says this: "I told you that you would die in your sins. For unless you believe that I am He, you will die in your sins." The Trinity is really difficult to understand because the human language is limited. It's limited. Now, why do we have to understand the Trinity? And why do we have to know about the Trinity? It is important for us to understand the basic concept of the Trinity for us to understand what love is. You want to know what love is? Right? Why? Why? Because love must have an object. Do you agree? Your love must have an object. If He is one, He will not be able to model what love is. Within the Trinity exists a perfect and eternal love relationship among the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And this love is not dependent dependent on any external object, but of internal it is the intrinsic nature of God that's why we say God is love because that is the nature of God so back to what, you know, back to the, to the scripture let's, let's look at the dynamics of the relationship of the three divine persons in the Godhead and children listen to this Parents, listen to this. right? Young professionals, listen, listen to this. Verse 15, it says here, But Jesus answered him, Let it be so now, for thus it is fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness. Then he consented. Jesus demonstrates his submission to the Father's plan by coming to John to be baptized. Despite being sinless, Jesus willingly submitted himself to fulfill all righteousness according to God's purpose. What do we see here? We see here that the the Son submits to the Father. You see, God can save us by any other means. Like the the, the saints, like like the, the Old Testament people who were saved by faith who were saved by you know their sacrifice their their faith in god basically they were saved by faith but by doing so we will not be able to understand what love is did you get that we will not be able to understand what mercy is we will not be able to understand that truth can set you free and we will not be able to comprehend the magnificence of grace. If we were saved by our faith, we will not be able to comprehend what grace is. Example. This is an example. Right? If we just give what our children ask for without telling them the sacrifice that you've made for them to have that, will they appreciate the gift? If we just give what our children want, without telling them, "Oh, Dad, I need ten thousand bd." Oh, here, ten thousand bd. Without telling them the sacrifice we have to do to get, to earn that, will they appreciate it? More than appreciating it, will they know your love for them? Will they comprehend it? Of course not. Yeah. And if we do that, it will lead them to grow up, God forbid, being entitled. How about us today? Children, do you honor your parents? Do you know the sacrifice they're making so that you can be where you are right now? Children, do you honor your parents? Do you understand how your parents love you? Do you understand that what they want for you is is for you to grow up perfect? For you to grow up to have everything you have and for you to face the society boldly because they want you to understand that they've got your back. Do you honor your parents? Do you submit to your parents? The son submits to the father. John 17, 4, it says here, I glorified you on earth, having accomplished the work that you gave me to do. If Jesus, being God, obeyed the father, how much more should we? And I'm not just talking about ch- children right now. I'm not just talking about kids right now. Even young professionals. Even us who are advanced in years a bit. Are we honoring our parents? Are we honoring our parents by handing down you know, important lessons that were given to us? Are we honoring our parents by modeling respect by modeling gratitude? Are we doing that? Another question I would like to ask is this. Do we honor the Son? That's for all of us. Do we honor Jesus Christ at work? Do we honor Jesus Christ in our relationships? Do we honor Jesus Christ in everything that we do? Philippians 2.8 and being found in human form he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death even death on a cross husbands do do you love your wife enough to sacrifice yourself when I say sacrifice yourselves, do you love yourself enough to die you know, to die from your old notions, to die with your culturally influenced notions. That if I am the man, I wear the pants in the house. Or do you enforce that? Do we die to that? Wives, do you respect your husbands? Your husbands aren't your husbands are not perfect. That's why they need the Lord. right, Husbands, listen to this. If you love your wife, it is easy for her to respect you. No, sir. Children, teenagers, do you help your parents? Do you help your parents? Do you wash the dishes? Do you sweep the floor? (laughs) (laughs) Parents, do you have time for your children? CJ, Another question is this: Parents, do you understand your children? Because their generation now is different from our generation. Their generation needs more understanding. You know, back in my days, if someone would tell me I am ugly, I would go, Nah, let's just you know fight, let's just you know let's just box each other. They have boxing into you know. Nowadays, if your children someone tells your children that they are ugly. That can lead to depression. Do you understand your children? Anyway, back to CJ. Hey, let me just say, sorry Sorry, CJ. You know, one day he introduced a friend to me. Anyway, he was, he, I think it, he was it was a some some from someone that's dear to him. And when, when he introduced him, I was like, I didn't know how to react. <laughs> but I said. Yes, my son is growing healthy. In The same way, parents, do you understand your children? The Holy Spirit, verse verse 16, rather. And when Jesus was baptized, immediately he went up from the water, and behold, the heavens were opened to him, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and coming to rest on him. See, the Holy Spirit descended upon Jesus like a dove. This action signifies what? This action signifies the support, empowerment, and anointing of the Holy Spirit upon the Son who is about to begin His mission. Or His ministry on earth, rather. See, verse 16 tells us that the Holy Spirit anoints the Son. The Holy Spirit supports the Son. The Holy Spirit empowers the Son. How about us? Do we support our spouses? Husbands, do you support your wives? Wives, do you support our husbands? Your husbands, not our. Okay, sorry. <laughs> your husbands. And, and when we were getting married, when we were about to get married, one thing that my mother-in-law told my wife is this, and I don't know, maybe my wife forgot about it. But one, one, one of the things that my mother you know, told my wife that, support your husband even if he is wrong. But that's wrong, okay? Don't support your husband. <laughs> support your husband. And if your husband is doing something wrong, support your husband by saying, you know what, that's not what's in the Bible. Support your husband's. Oftentimes, the Holy Spirit is the least spoken among the triune God. But there is no jealousy among the members of the Trinity. God will not say, why are you only worshipping the Son? God will not say, why are you only worshipping the Holy Spirit? God will not say that because in them, is there is no jealousy. In them is perfect love, perfect respect, unity, truth, understanding, fellowship, submission, companionship. In them they honor one another. Acts 10.38 says this, How God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power, he went about doing and healing all who were opposed by the dev- oppressed by the devil, for God was with him. Hebrews 9.14 How much more will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal Spirit, Offered himself without blemish to God, purify our conscience from dead works to serve the living God. Question is, do we ask the Holy Spirit to support us? Or do we think we're good to go? In our work, do we ask the Holy Spirit, or we say, you know, the four years in college is enough? Do we still rely on the Spirit? Do we ask the Holy Spirit for help in the way we treat people? Sometimes that people that person is so unloving. You know, you can't love that person because he's just, uh, uh, you know. But in that instance, do you give up, or do you ask the Holy Spirit for help so that you can love that unlovable person? Sometimes it's difficult. It is difficult. But we always remember that we are not alone. We are with God everywhere we go. That God is with us in every situation that we face. In any challenge, in any obstacle that you have to overcome, you're not doing it alone. God is with you. Verse 17, And behold, a voice from heaven said, This is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. God the Father speaks from heaven, declaring Jesus as His beloved Son. Take note the word, beloved. And expressing His pleasure and honor in Him. Now, what does this highlight? It highlights the declaration that the Father recognizes and honors the Son. Philippians 2, 8-11, it says here, And being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death and even death on the cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every other name. So that in the, at the name of Jesus, every knee, every knee, it didn't say some knee, it says every knee should bow In heaven, and in earth, (laughs) and under the earth. In every tongue, in heaven, on earth, and under the earth, confess that Jesus is Lord. Amazing. To the glory of God the Father. God gave honor to whom honor is due. And I hope that is also what we will do. The more we know the Triune God, the more we can apply the dynamics of their relationship in our lives. See, like the Trinity, let us submit, support, and honor one another. Say that with me. Submit, support, and honor one another. Let us model our relationship after the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. See, we are designed for a perfect, deep, and meaningful relationship. That's our design. We are designed for a deep, perfect, and meaningful relationship. Now, let our relationships be a demonstration of the gospel to the world. Let us pattern our relationships with God. Let us love one another, unite to one another, and follow the self-giving nature found within the Godhead. How? How do we do that? By imitating the perfect and loving relationship among the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And as we do this, as we imitate God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit, Because we love one another, the world will know that we are His disciples. Amen? Why don't we all stand? Let's bow our heads. Father, we thank you for sending your Son to die on the cross for us so that our sins may be forgiven. And Father, thank you for designing us, Lord, for designing us for relationships. And Father, right now, Lord, I just ask, Lord God, that, that you just speak to us. Speak to us. Lord, reveal, Lord God, show us, Lord God, we are where we have come short. Where we have come short in our relationships, Lord. Where in our relationships, we forgot to honor you. We forgot to rely on you. We forgot, Father, to submit to you. And Father, right now, we just approach your throne and we ask for forgiveness. Lord, forgive us of our iniquities. Lord, we receive that forgiveness. And, Father, right now, Father, I ask, Lord, for your grace and your strength. Lord, remind us, Lord, that we have a model to follow. And we can follow that model because we have you in us. And, Father, right now, Lord, I just ask, Lord, that, Lord, as we love one another, Lord, as we honor one another, as we support one another, as we empower one another, Father, I pray, Lord God, that you will use this church to proclaim your gospel to the world so that, like us, Lord, they may also have a meaningful, deep relationship with you. Lord, we thank you and we ask, Lord, that you be seen in our lives, that you be seen in our relationships, Lord that you grant us the grace and the strength to live a life that honors you and proclaims you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen and amen. Let's receive the benediction. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make His face shine upon you and may the Lord be gracious to you. May He, may he open doors for you to build meaningful, deep relationships so that you can bring your friends, your office mates, and your family into His kingdom. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You're now dismissed.